The UPenn president has resigned. The Harvard president is under fire. Uh, defending, and they did it because they were defending their free speech policies at their respective universities. Policies that are so pathetic that the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression uh, ranked Harvard 248th out of 248. Penn was 247. And yet, in the defense of their these apparently sad and, and uh, ineffective free speech guidelines... They totally ignored the threat of anti-Semitism and offended so many people with their tone deafness. But there is a question here about, as we examine free speech on campus, how you do it well so that you're making sure that Jewish or Muslim students feel safe, uh, but but also allow free speech and criticism uh, Aaron Terra is director of that very group that I referenced, the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression. We first met them when they were defending uh, conservatives who were being harassed and in some cases threatened for appearing on campus. Uh, good to have you with us, Aaron. Yeah, thanks for having me on. What did you think? I mean, when these uh, university presidents who y- you have justifiably criticized their their free speech policies kind of were holier than thou in front of this congressional committee. Yeah, they didn't do a great job. Uh, The Penn and Harvard presidents in particular gave answers that were legally correct and aligned with free speech principles. Speech, even abstract advocacy of violence, is protected uh, unless it falls into a narrow exception like true threats or incitement to immediate violence. So it was good that the president seemed to recognize that, although they didn't do a particularly persuasive or compelling job of explaining why it's important to protect that speech. Uh, and then I think a lot of people were rightly asking, where was that restraint the past decade? Yes. The institutions have a history of censoring allegedly offensive speech that many would consider pretty tame by comparison. So people are right to call out the hypocrisy and double standards and to be skeptical that these institutions are, are going to truly be committed to free speech going forward. Um, Aaron, Claudine Gay has apologized, and 700 now Harvard faculty members signed a letter saying she shouldn't be fired over this. Is there a path forward where she could say, look, I, I made a mistake and let's change our policies? Yeah, I think uh, Claudine Gay, uh, uh, in her defense, has only been president since July. So I don't think you can necessarily hold her responsible for all the mistakes Harvard has made in the past, although she was also previously a dean at Harvard, uh, who made some questionable decisions on speech. So I think that she's rightly under intense scrutiny right now. Um, and uh, you know, it, it is, I think this is a golden opportunity for gay and other presidents to return to first principles and to reestablish their institutions as respected centers of learning and free thought and free inquiry. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think she's rightly on a short leash right now. And and Aaron, uh, how different is this when you talk about free speech versus the student code of conduct? Because that was brought up a lot as well. Yeah. So the these um, Penn and, and Harvard and MIT are private institutions, so they do have the right to decide what their speech policies are going to be. Um, however, uh, all of them and many other private institutions choose to enshrine in their policies commitments to free speech that are essentially aligned with First Amendment standards. 
so it, so when they do that, it is relevant what the First Amendment has to say about what speech is protected. Um, and unfortunately, many of these schools will also have certain policies in their code of conduct that are inconsistent with the commitment to free speech. Uh, and they shouldn't do that, right? If you're, if you're going to commit to free speech, then, then you should commit to free speech. Mm -hmm. That's what students and faculty are really going to expect, that they have broad freedom to speak, especially on issues of public concern like the Israel-Palestinian conflict. We have a, uh, a wonderful university president here at Oakland University, Ora Peskovitz, who uh, said, look, I, as a Jewish American, I was I felt attacked by those that were chanting from the river to the sea. Uh, and she said, look, she has four principles. But one of them is, is that, that you do have a right to free speech, even if it is highly offensive, but it cannot be harassing or threatening. And, and you know, I, I think the question is for all of us, Aaron, is where is that line? And it seems to be so so fuzzy. I know that FIRE not only advocates, but you also consult with universities on how to draft these policies. So how do we protect those from not feeling threatened while protecting the rights of those who want to justifiably criticize and exercise their First Amendment right? Yeah, universities absolutely can and should both protect students' right to free speech and their right to learn free from threats and harassment. And fortunately, the law already, you know, there, there's a, a long, um, well-developed body of case law that, that provides very helpful standards for determining when speech crosses the line into unprotected uh, speech or conduct. So colleges should punish unprotected speech and conduct like violence and actual threats of violence. Like, for example, we saw at Cornell where there was a student who was literally threatening to shoot Jews on campus at a kosher dining hall, right? And he was, he was rightly arrested by the police. Um, we've had, you know, examples of students shouting down speakers or blocking entrances to buildings. That's not protected conduct, and, and the universities uh, don't have to tolerate that. Um, and then, yeah, harassment, right? So har the harassment standard, though, is necessarily a high bar, and, and the Supreme Court defined that in a 1999 case. Um, you're talking about a pattern of targeted extreme unwanted conduct that uh, denies a student the access, equal access to their education. And, and schools shouldn't tolerate that either. But there's also a danger in expanding the definition of harassment to cover speech that merely causes offense or discomfort. Uh, you know, I can cite you a million cases from FIRE's fire history mm -hmm. uh, that show the danger of an overbroad application of harassment. For instance, there, we had a case at Emerson College uh, a couple of years ago where conservative students were um, punished for handing out stickers that said China kind of sus that were intended. They were critical of the Chinese government, the Chinese Communist Party, but the, they were accused of anti-Asian hate. And, and uh, the group was disbanded under a bias policy. So it's really important to protect students from actual harassment, but not expand the definition of harassment so much that, it's protecting right. students even from having to hear a speech that makes them uncomfortable. But within the context of genocide, which is what mm -hmm. the Congresswoman Elise Stefanik was pointing out there, and we only have 60 seconds left, she said the answer was, well, context matters. I can't imagine any context where calling for genocide of Jews wouldn't be harassment. Can you? So, well, the thing with that is that 
look at the examples that she used when she was talking about calls for genocide. It was it was things like students shouting Intifada or from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. And some people, you know, people sharply disagree about whether or not that speech is a call for genocide. Right? Some people think it is a call for genocide of Israeli Jews. Others hear a, a call for Palestinian liberation from the Israeli government. And that's why a, a, a ban on abstract calls for genocide, even when they're not in context, threats directed at, at a particular individual or incitement uh, is a recipe for arbitrary censorship and would end up cramping debate on important issues. Yeah. So although, you know, on its face, it seems like a, a wise policy, the way that it would be applied in practice by, by administrators with their own political biases would, would really, I think, be a disaster for free speech. Aaron Terr is with FIRE. This is uh, a, a free speech group that tries to inject some reasonableness into this and also calls out those that engage in double standards. Aaron, thank you very much for your time. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks again for having me on. All right, again, that's 